Psalm 118 and 24 says, This is the day that the Lord has made, and we rejoice and are glad in it. And I don't know about you, but I was glad when it was said to me, let's go into the house of the Lord, because it's in his house, his presence, that there's fullness of joy, there's peace, there's healing, there's deliverance, there is uh, rest in the presence of Jesus. So I'm glad to be here and trust that you are experiencing him through the love that met you at the door, but also through the worship experience where you can only be encountered best by Jesus himself. Uh, My name is Paul, and I am privileged to serve as pastor of this congregation. It's great to see every single one of you. Um, And to those live streaming, thank you as well for joining us for an hour of your day on Sunday. It means a lot. Um, And we pray again that you've been met by the sweet presence of the Holy Spirit this morning. Um, And welcome to our new home. I think that's a moment to give God some more praise for that. We are excited to be here at Walker Upper Elementary. We were at the Boys and Girls Club for a little bit, and now in our new home, first service gets to meet the second service, second service gets to meet the first service, so I hope you get a chance to get to know each other uh, now that we are in one service together. And it is a joy uh, to be here. We have been incredibly favored by God himself through the administration here, the staff here, uh, the the custodial staff, the, the teachers who have allowed us to use rooms, Um, which we will steward very, very well, Um, and we're grateful to God for allowing us to occupy this space, um, and not just occupy a space, but to pray over the families and the community that this space during the week get to serve, and to actively put our hands to the plow, as Kate talked about in terms of how you two can serve to serve this community uh, as well. So glad to have you here. Today we're kicking off our series for the month of February entitled Reconciled to God. Reconciled to God. If you were with us last month, we kicked off with Victorious Living, uh, which is the name of the church, Victory Church. So we thought maybe we should talk a little bit about why we are Victory uh, Church and why we are victorious and how we are victorious. And this month, we're going to talk a bit about what it looks like to be reconciled to God. And of course, when we talk about reconciliation, it implies that there's some kind of separation, some kind of uh, a gap or a gulf between two parties. There's enmity, there's fragmentation that is there, and uh, estrangement, if you will, that once reconciliation has happened, then there's fellowship, there's community, authenticity, harmony, if you will. And that's the lens through which we are going to approach this particular series this month, and in many ways, uh, this, it's the, uh, the way we approach our walk with Jesus Christ on a daily basis in our faith walk. It's the objective work of Jesus Christ that allows us to be reconciled to him. Um, He's gracious. He he gives us a little subjective space where we can partner with him and appropriate his objective work by applying his work and the acknowledgement of his work to our lives such that we can further see that gap narrowed. But it's ultimately the work of the cross that bridges the gulf created due to our sins. The Bible says we were dead in our transgressions and our sins separated us from a holy God, and when he went to the cross, it wasn't for him. He was not tainted whatsoever, but it was on our behalf that he did so. And so we are grateful to posture ourselves as we should, very low, to a holy God without whom we would not be here. And we want to talk a bit about that today uh, and reinforce what we have reinforced intentionally for the first several weeks of the uh, inception, if you will, of this ministry, and that is the foundation of why we are here today, why we are here every day on the planet, and how we can ever in life build a house that will have a chance of standing. 
So we're here to reinforce through what we call the general tenor of Scripture. So not just looking at one sort of proof text, but throughout the, the Bible, we see Jesus. And today we're going to look at that foundation through a, a different Scripture, uh, the book of Hebrews, chapter 7, verses 25 through 27. So if you have your Bibles or your smartphones or your iPads, whatever you're using, turn with me to the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, a little later in the New Testament, chapter 7, verses 25 through 27. And as you find that, let's, let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for this moment, this opportunity to study your word together. I pray according to your word, Psalm 119 and 18, that says, open up our eyes so that we might see all that is in your law. Unless you open our eyes, we cannot see. So I ask you to speak today. Uh, to move Paul out of the way and allow me just to be a mouthpiece or conduit through whom your word comes to life for us so that tomorrow it can translate from some head knowledge about 18 inches down to our heart and be a reality in our everyday lived experience. We cannot do that without you. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you speak today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Hebrews chapter 7, uh, verses 25 through 27, and I'll be reading from the New International Version. Uh, this morning, it says, therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens, Verse 27, unlike the other high priest, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. The title of uh, the message today is, He is Able. He's Able. Uh, and the text, I believe, communicates to us just how much we need salvation. And how through Jesus Christ we can be saved for all time. Uh, just a few of you in that short meet and greet had the privilege and honor of meeting my amazing bride of 13 years, Taylor. Um, I won't make her stand, but we've been married for 13 years and had three uh, wonderful kids. And we, over the last probably couple of years, have thought a bit more critically and thoughtfully about how we're going to engage our kids around the topic of race. How are we going to... Uh, uh, facilitate their racial identity development in a healthy way that allows them to engage the spaces they are going to occupy well, recognizing who they are and the context within which they live and what their skin color means in that context. Um, there's no manual for that. We, we approach it delicately. We approach it with uh, with direction from the Word of God as to how best to care for our children. And if you have followed any of my wife's writing, she entered that space rather boldly a couple of years ago in talking to our daughter and then writing about how we engaged her around August 11th and 12th and what that looked like and how on some fronts we wanted to protect her, but on other fronts we wanted to be preventative and engage her before we had to reactively engage her at some point when she unfortunately would encounter some things in life. And there's a particular book that we have. We have a steady flow of books in the house, thanks to many of you. We stalk all y'all and all the kids' books that you put out there that can help our kids see themselves, to be affirmed for who they are, to know the people that have gone before them. And there's one particular book that they are into right now. It's called Young, Gifted, and Black 
by Jamia Wilson. And, and one of our kids came to us recently, having read a story, and he said, Daddy, I want to tell you about the story in the book. I said, sure, let me know. He said, well, there's this guy. He was born in 1950, and uh, he was a preemie. And so as a result of being a preemie, he, he kind of lo lost his eyesight. But he has this quote in the book that really hit me. And the quote is, uh, uh, even something to this effect, even if you lack your eyesight, doesn't mean you have to lack vision. He says, that hit me. I said, wow, yeah, that hits me too. Uh, go ahead and tell me some more. So he started telling me some more about how at 11 years old, he got a Motown contract. And years later, he became known as one of the best-selling national, international recording artists. I hope you're with me. Let me know if you are. Talk back. <laughs> Who are we talking about? We're talking about Stevie Wonder, right? And so he's telling me, yeah, he wears glasses. Dad, he's amazing. I said, he, he is. Thank you for sharing and then I proceeded to tell him a story that my wife and I experienced related to that same particular artist. We were at a karaoke party for a friend. We made it through eight, yeah, <laughs> pray. We made it through 80% of the night, 80% of the night without singing, just laughing at everybody else, <laughs> right? And I'm in the back, and I, I, I don't know what got into me, still don't, but I walk up to the front, and I put our little name in, and put down Stevie Wonder, happy birthday. I'm like, what am I doing? Uh, maybe my kid's words were ringing in my ears, because when he came to me with that book, he was like, and this is the guy who played, who sings that song that you and mommy always play when it's somebody's birthday. I said, yeah, yeah, so maybe that's why I did what I did. I don't know, but I'm walking to the back, and my wife's looking at me like, what <laughs> did you just do? I said, I don't know. Uh, maybe it's the childhood children's choir in me that thinks I still got it. But whatever the case, I get up there. And you know, if you ever sung before, sometimes a song can be in a place where it's too high to go to the, to the lower, but it's too high, so your eyes start tearing and your throat is raspy. And that was me that night. Sang this song, Happy Birthday, uh, <laughs> or tried to sing it to our friend, leaning on what one might consider, as we transition to the text, the Old Covenant. <laughs> The old covenant of Paul and the children's choir and what I used to think I could do when God was probably trying to nudge me the whole night into the new covenant, which was for me to just make a joyful noise in a quiet space where nobody could ever hear me. <laughs> and I think I didn't embrace it that night, but I am now going to embrace that new covenant. But I think the tension for us in whatever space you find yourself could be somewhat similar. I got this. I can lean on what I used to do, this old covenant. Let me try this. When God is saying, come on in, the first sermon of the year, uh, January 6th, we spoke from the text, it's handled, that his victory was won already on the cross. And so he's inviting all of us into this new covenant. Through his death, now we get to encounter Jesus Christ. And the text that we've read today, I believe, communicates to us a number of things. But what we'll focus on today is that we are saved for all time through Jesus. We are saved for all time through Jesus. Uh, verse 25 begins with the word, therefore. And I see some uh, new, newer faces in the crowd. So whenever we are looking at the Bible and we see the word, therefore, for those of you who have heard me say this before, we want to then know what it's, we want to know what it's there for. So we do a little bit more digging. And so for a moment, I want to zoom out a bit since we only read three verses to the book of Hebrews to see a little bit about what this letter or sometimes referred to as a sermon is all about. The author isn't explicitly stated in the book, like in Matthew or some of Apostle Paul's epistles. So we, we don't, 
definitively know who wrote it, but we know the readers and the recipients of the author knew the writer. And the writer's communicating that Jesus is our one mediator whose once and for all sacrifice paid for our sins, opened the way to God directly, access for us to him. That's good news. That is good news. Amen. It is good news. <laughs> it's written to encourage, the author says, Christians in a time of trial. I won't go around the room here, but I imagine at some point in your life you've been in a trial. In fact, as it's always been said to me, you're either coming out of a trial, you in one, <laughs> or you're about to go into one. That's kind of how life, if you will, evolves. And this particular letter is to encourage Christians in the time of their trial. And it seems, though, that the readers of this particular letter are in danger of drifting away from the faith, going back to whatever comfort they thought they had in their old customs. And to that end, there had already been some separation, some defection, some uh, alienation, if you will, of some from that Christian community because they, in fact, went back. And so the author here is encouraging, he's exhorting them to stand firm in your faith, reminding them that the new covenant, which again comes through the death of Jesus Christ, is superior to the old covenant, which consists of external regulations. There's also a series of warnings to the readers as to dangers associated with their drifting from their faith or remaining immature in their faith, refusing to move forward in God. And so in the verses leading up to 25, which is the focus of our time, uh, this morning, the writer is making the case for the priesthood of Jesus being superior to that of the Levitical priesthood. And for a minute, I just want to touch on what the Levitical priesthood was all about in the Old Testament. From the tribe of Levi, those priests were charged with the responsibility of offering sacrifices for their sins and the sins of others, which were dictated in many ways by the Mosaic Law, which if you want to read more about, the first five books of the Old Testament is called the Torah or the Pentateuch. It talks all about said laws. And under that, the Levitical priests did a number of things. They ministered in the temple. They served as judges and teachers of God's law. They served primarily as mediators between man and God, which we'll talk about in a moment. So the writer shines a light then on the comparison of the new and the old covenant by mentioning another priest in the Old Testament. How many of you have read about Melchizedek? He mentions this guy that we don't know a whole lot about. We just know he's unlike any other in the Levitical priesthood. In fact, he was superior to them. For one, he was appointed by God. So in the Levitical priesthood, stay with me here for a few moments, the, the priesthood was governed again by the Mosaic law, so there had to be some lineage for there to be a priest or for you to become a priest. And Melchizedek wasn't in that lineage. Rather, he was appointed by God. And I should mention kind of parenthetically here, so the use of Melchizedek, even in Hebrews, if you go to back to the beginning of chapter 7, uh, he's used in a way that we call a typology or a foreshadowing of Christ. Not Christ himself, but a foreshadowing of him to come. In verse 17, as we make our way quickly to 25 of this chapter, uh, verse 17 of this chapter says, Jesus is a priest forever, in the order of Melchizedek. And the reason why we need a new priest and we can't rely on the old covenant is found in verse 18 of the same chapter, which says the former regulation is set aside because it was weak and it was useless. The law could not do it. It made nothing perfect. Romans 3 and 20 says it this way. No one 
will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. So is there a purpose for the law? Absolutely. Is it sufficient? Absolutely not. Jesus, though, is our superior high priest. He is God incarnate, the propitiation for our sins, the sacrificial death that then opens the door for us to be near to God. We are saved for all time through Jesus Christ. Jesus. Jesus, who, by the way, isn't a part of that Levitical lineage either. It's from the line of Judah. And as such, his interest in you and me isn't based on our lineage either. His love for you and me isn't determined by our zip code. His love for you and I is not directed by the letters after your name. It doesn't matter who before you did what, said what to you, for you. It doesn't matter where you sit. Last week we preached about Matthew eleven twenty eight. He says, come unto me all you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. He invites all of us into his lineage, regardless of where we come from. Uh, last summer, my wife and I, again, at a party, no karaoke this time, and, uh, but there was a lot of activity. The kids were playing. It was for a birthday party, and they're having a good time. And there was a pool there, so the kids were playing or swimming in the pool. And it's one of those times where you kind of walk in and you see all of these constructive <laughs> activities for the kids and you know you're supposed to engage the adult, but really you just want to go take a nap. You're like, oh, they're good. I can roll and get me this nap in. Um, good time. But we're engaging the adults while outside. They're in the, somebody knows what I'm saying, right? <laughs> uh, but we didn't do that. We're like, no, they're adults. We're going to spend some time with them. Um, and so we did. But while doing so, out back, they're swimming. And we hear somebody running through the house. Where is so-and-so? Where is so-and-so? Where is so-and-so? And And the so-and-so they were looking for happened to be a physician. And it was one of those tones where you knew not to like, "Ah, what's wrong? Everybody just started to run to find that person. Why? Because there was a young person who didn't know how to swim who then jumped into the pool. Fortunately, he was okay. The physician checked to see how much water he did in fact get in his lungs. And he did, but I believe it's still okay to this day. But I thought... God, how much are we like that young man? Jumping in and out of stuff in life, thinking that we can swim when we really can't, and we are just drowning, going down and down and down. I think about my own life. I think about Paul Christopher Harris, the knucklehead, born and raised on Long Island, who definitely jumped in and out of some stuff, going down, and God reached down, literally, to the point where, in some points in my life, I didn't think I could be reached, and he says, no. I got you. In fact, I've already paid the price for you. Stop trying to do this or that in your own strength because you're just going to go down. And then after pulling me out, he he then says, and now let me show you what I'm capable of doing. I want to show you that I am able to heal you. I want to show you, Paul, that I'm able to deliver you. I want to show you that I can give you peace. I want to show you that I can give you some joy that's unspeakable. I want to show you, Paul, that resentment doesn't have to be your portion. Bitterness doesn't have to be your portion. I, I, I want to show you, Paul, what forgiveness looks like when you thought he couldn't, you couldn't be reached. I want to show you just how I took your sins and already nailed them, the ones you did, the ones you are doing, and the ones you are going to do. And I don't know about you, but I love the book of Psalm, particularly chapters like 81 that says, I can then shout to the God of Jacob with a loud 
voice, and you can think on your own front. That's my testimony. But if I went around the room, my guess is when you thought about the goodness of Jesus for a moment, you can respond however you want. Psalm 81 informs me about how I'm going to shout to the God of Jacob. Psalm 95, I'm going to shout to the rock of my salvation. Psalm 49 talks about me clapping my hands. Psalm 149 says I can do my dance, which is a two-step for me. But I can praise him with everything that I've got. Psalm 150 says everything. Why? Because you've been that good to me. And Victory Church, this is an aside. Yes, we are here to see people reconcile to God and each other. That is our vision. But let it be known from the front that it's going to be a people who worship and praise our living Savior every day. It's why I lead with Psalm 118 and 24 that this is the day, regardless of the flu that was in our house this week and the ear infection while I was away. I'm sorry, babe, that that happened. While, regardless of what it looks like, we're going to rejoice. We're going to move our bodies and make a little bit of noise because God's been so good to us. Under the first covenant, we learn later in the chapter Uh, Chapter 7 of Hebrews, the priests were allowed to do ministry within the outer room of the tabernacle and only the high priest could then enter the inner room of the tabernacle and then could only do that one time a year to offer sacrifice for both himself and the sins of the people. Jesus, turn to your neighbor and say, the bottom line is (laughs) (laughs) Jesus, the superior high priest under the new covenant doesn't need to enter again and again And again, the way the high priest had to do, he needed to appear once, shed blood for us one time, and it wasn't for his sins. He died once, he rose once, and is seated on the right hand of the Father forever. And through him, we can now be reconciled to God. We are saved for all time through Jesus Christ. Saved from the penalty of sin, which you can turn to your neighbor on that one and say, isn't that good news? And turn to your other neighbor and say, and it never gets old. (laughs) Because it's a good day when you can look up and say, I ain't got to go to hell today. That's a good day. Thank you, Lord. If you do nothing else for me, I'm not going to hell. Praise the Lord. I'm good. Service is over. We can roll. That's a good day. But he doesn't stop there. It says, verse 25 of Hebrews 7, he is able to save us completely. It's the King James Version, ESV, NRSV, whatever version you use, you might see the, to the uttermost for all times. But he's saying, I want to go beyond just saving you for the penalty of sin. Great, you punched your ticket to heaven, but it's not about punching your ticket. I want to see heaven come here. The Lord's Prayer, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He wants to see it come here. So I'm also wanting to see you saved, and I'm able to save you from the power of sin here on the earth, the nature of sin. The sin of pride, of resentment, of envy, of covetousness. I'm here and I am able to save you from that as well. Right now, he can save us for all times. Jesus can do just that. He is able. Our high priest is able. And why? Verse 26 says in this chapter, because only he is holy. Only he is blameless. Only he is pure set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. He is able. Darwin Hobbs, uh, a gospel singer, as I prepare to close and the worship team comes, um, he says it this way. 
And under the new covenant, I am not going to sing it. I'm going to just tell it. God is able to do just what he said he would do. He is going to fulfill every promise to you. So don't give up on God because he won't give up on you. He's able. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you for being an able God. May this word in its uh, foundational, simple form be the profoundly impactful word that you've intended it for us to be. Help us to trust your ability. Help us to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, as Will talked about earlier, to lean on you and not our own understanding. Help us to extend our faith in such a way that says to you, we know and we believe that you're able. I believe that you're able to come into my house and work a miracle. I believe that you're able to come onto my job and do the unthinkable. I believe that you're able to give me peace in the midst of this chaos. I believe that Victory Church in the city of Charlottesville will exist to see people reconciled to you and to each other, not because of us, any intellect or networking or financial capacity, no, but because of you and the work objectively that was done on the cross. We just get the privilege to acknowledge it and appropriate it to our lives every single day. We will reinforce over and over and over again that foundational truth. Why? God, because we know we haven't gotten it yet. Help us to live in that foundational reality today. And with your eyes closed and heads bowed, uh, while this writer was writing to mostly Christians, encouraging them not to go back, this is incredibly relevant for those who don't know Jesus at all. Maybe you've heard about him. Maybe you kind of stepped in with him and then you stepped out, with, stepped out from being in his presence. Maybe you have been mad at him. Whatever, wherever you find yourself, but you, maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, but I know I'm not in relationship with him. I'm not in fellowship with him. If that is you, with eyes closed and heads bowed, there is never a bad day to make a great decision. And I will never forget 1992 as a little kid, 13 years old, making that decision that no, it didn't create a storm-free life. In fact, in some ways, things got real crazy, but it made a storm-proof life. We want to give those of you an opportunity who want to make that decision today the opportunity to do just that. So if that is you, with eyes closed and heads bowed, and you just want to say publicly, God, I believe you, and I want to start a relationship with you or restart a relationship with you, I would love to pray with you. So raise your hand. We won't ask you to come up to the front, but if you raise your hand, we will pray with you a prayer of salvation and next steps in a relationship with Jesus Christ that will transform your life for the better. If that is you, you can raise your hand now. For us sitting here then who know him or perhaps are still wrestling within about whether we want to know him, God, I pray for both camps now, that you would soften the heart of those who might not know you, might still be upset with you, might still be unsure of you, might still be terrified of this public moment to confess you. I pray that there would be a, a, a softening of the heart so that you can do what only you can do in their heart, transforming them in the ways that only you can. And for those who know you, God, I pray that 
with each passing day, we would acknowledge and recognize and extend our faith a little bit further to a God who is in fact able. That we would live out the reality that we are saved for all time through Jesus Christ. That we would rest on that and look not just to the saving of the, from the penalty of sin, but also from the power of sin. And until the day we're saved from the presence of sin, when you come back and take us on with you to glory. We thank you and we love you and we appreciate you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, amen, church. If you are here and after service desired to have someone pray with and for you about anything, uh, we'll have a prayer team who's going to come forward now. They'll be down front, um, and you are welcome to come down and pray with them. Worship team, you got it.